in a series called The Power of One. Would you say that with me? The Power of One. And uh, we, we uh, opened that series last week. Kind of the premise of our whole series is that um, in one moment you can change someone's life. The power of one decision, the power of one engagement, the power of one moment with the Lord, the power of one obedient act unto the Lord and how it can change lives and change the world. And last week we actually, you know, covered some of the goals that we have with this series. So let me just kind of remind you a little bit what we're trying to do. First and foremost is that you and I, that we would literally grab the understanding that God has put moments in our day to help people's lives be changed. And don't miss them. Don't miss those moments. Also, another part of this series is we want to tool you to actually minister to others because Jesus died on a cross so that men and women would not have to spend eternity separated from the living God. Come on, somebody. And that we are, literally, we are his hands and feet to a lost and dying world. And then on August 27th, which is the last Sunday of this month, we're going to do a little special service, not big and, and over-creative, maybe, you know, something you've done in the past at another church, but just a little simple thing. We're going to tweak our service just a little bit on August 27th, so not this Sunday coming, but the following, so that you can feel really comfortable to f- bring friends and relatives who maybe don't know Jesus, co-workers, and literally, we'll call it, we'll call it one day of God. In other words, one day of God. Would you give one day to God? Excuse me. One day to God. You could ask your friends, hey, would you just come and give one day to God and come to a service with me over at my church. Church, are pretty good people, and they're, they're real gracious and kind, and think you could have a, a good experience and kind of interact with the Lord. And so that's what I want you to ask friends and coworkers and neighbors. Would you just come one day? Would you just give one day to God? Because, again, the power of one. Would you just give one day to God and come be in a service with us? So mark your calendars, August 27th, again, two weeks from now, and try to get some friends, some relatives, people you've been praying for. Last week, when we jumped into this series, The Power of One, we talked about the power um, of one decision of obedience. And we looked at how Philip, who was in the midst of revival in Samaria, the the Lord told him to go into the desert and minister, or just go into the desert, unbeknownst to him, he would find an Ethiopian eunuch, and he would end up winning him to Jesus, and that man then went forward, as tradition tells us, and literally changed Ethiopia for God. One man in a desert, reading a scroll, and Philip literally is is standing there with him, and ministers to him, and then all of a sudden, that transformation changes hundreds, thousands, and tens of thousands of people. And so that's kind of was our, our, our premise last week's message of being obedient in one moment. Just obey. And I'm telling you right now, God is constantly nudging you and me. Say this to that one right there. Hey, walk up to that one and love on that one right there. He's doing that. He does it to me all the time. And sometimes I'm obedient and sometimes I'm disobedient. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Say amen. Come on, people. All right. And so, and so when I'm obedient, miracles happen. In fact, we had a supernatural miracle that had transpired as a result of that message, kind of bringing it all together. And they told me I could share it. And so, uh, Linnell, uh, if you don't, haven't met Linnell, Linnell uh, normally comes to our evening service, but she was an Arlington police officer for a number of years, and just recently she moved into another profession. But she was telling, she, her and a, young, a lady uh, came up to me after second service uh, last Sunday, uh, uh, Linnell, who's an Arlington police officer, and Lynette, who was her new friend that she brought up to me, and they're standing up front, they go, we got to tell you, we're not going to believe, you. yeah, we got to tell you this, we, you can't, oh my goodness. And I'm like, well, tell me, come on, get it out, let's go. And they said, to me, Linnell tells us, Linnell said, you tell her, tell him Lynette. She goes, two years ago, I was in some type of breakfast shop and Linnell, the police officer, walks in 
And I decide I want to buy her breakfast. I, I want to pay for her breakfast just because she's, uh, uh, you know, uh, she serves our community, and I just, I just want to do that. And so she paid for the breakfast, and she walked out. And when she did, and the police officer, Linnell, and our church realized, she followed her afterwards, and she said, thank you so much, and I want to do something for you, but I, I can't really give you money. She goes, can I pray for you? And so, so Lynette says, well, sure, because I'm really going through some terrible things in my life. And so Linnell prays for her. And, when, and as they pray, the Spirit of the Lord comes, and they just feel the impact of God interacting with these two ladies. And, uh, and, and, and Lynette, uh, excuse me, Linnell says, hey, listen, you really ought to, come, uh, you ought to come to church with me at Church on the Hill. Now, this is in, 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 in Arlington. I think it's up North Arlington, Lamar, something like that. And she goes, well, where's your church at? She goes, it's in Cedar Hill. She goes, oh, yeah, okay. And she said, uh, she said but no, really, you need to come. These people are real. They're legit. They really love God. She said, what's the name of Church on the Hill? She said, don't forget Church on the Hill. So Lynette goes, yeah, yeah, okay, Church on the Hill. And she said for the next two years, she went through hell and back. And the next two years, that prayer and that name, Church on the Hill, haunted her in the night. And she said a few months ago, something shifted in her life, and she was able to give up on some things that were holding her back, and she began to cry out to God. And she said in a couple weeks back, she said, God, I've got to go find that Church on the Hill. Two years ago, I've got to go find that church on the hill, and I've got to go find Linnell. Now, the chance that Linnell still goes to our church, come on, you know how churches are, first and foremost, is pretty miraculous. And the fact that she could find church on the hill, seeing how there's another church on the hill about four miles down the road, that she found the right church on the hill. And so she shows up this past Sunday thinking that she's going to find Linnell. The problem is she comes to second service, and Linnell comes to third service at 6 p.m. She never comes to second service. Oh, but wait, there's more. Because the Lord had begin, had, 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 had this interaction that Linnell and, and someone here at Church on the Hill was having. And they said, hey, let's go to lunch Sunday after second service. And Linnell says, I normally go to third service, but I'll come to second service with you so that we can go to lunch afterwards. Unbeknownst about Lynette's going to be coming in here looking for her. And so guess what? Linnell, who's a night out, oversleeps. So she wakes up, she are, it's already in the middle of praise and worship, but she lives not too far. She goes, I can't go now, I'm going to text the gal and say, well, let's cancel on lunch. And she said, but the Lord wouldn't let me. So I got dressed and I came to service, even though worship was over, Pastor Adam had stopped begging for all our money, and I walk in right as he, <laughs> right as he goes to preach, and as I sit down, Lynette turns around and says, Linnell, I've been waiting for you to get here, do you remember me? And so as they're standing in front of me, Lynette goes, I'm her Ethiopian. I'm the one that she ministered to two years ago to change my life. Friend, let me tell you something. God has the power to change lives even from two years ago. Amen. It's good. So as we jump in today, today we're titling today's The Power of One Message, the act, excuse me, one act of kindness. One act of kindness. Our key scripture is Hebrews chapter 13. Remember, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Remember, if you will pay attention every week to the key scripture, maybe even write it down, mark it in your digital Bible or something like that, and try to remember that, those passages. And you do that in 52 weeks of coming to church every Sunday because you want to grow. If you do that every Sunday, then you'll have 52 scriptures that you know, which is, 90% more, uh, which is more than 90% of American Christians, and you'll be, keep growing and, and, and maturing in Christ. So Hebrews 13 and verse 2, it says, Do not forget... To be kind to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Do not 
Do not forget to be kind to strangers. Friend, I don't know about you, but in our society, it seems to me that we're taught to not be kind to strangers. Stranger danger, which is what I teach my kids too. But in this whole process of trying to protect ourselves, we somehow have missed this understanding in Scripture that we are called to be kind to strangers. In fact, it goes on to say, and by doing that, some of us have actually interacted with angels and didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. Because we were simply doing what God wanted us to do in that moment. And he set us up to have this interaction. So I don't know if I've ever interacted with an angel. I don't know either. But that would be cool when I get to heaven to realize which one was an angel and which one wasn't. So with that being said, we're going to move now into, G, uh, into Luke chapter 19. And we're going to look at the passage of scripture where Jesus and, Zac- and Zacchaeus have this interaction. I'm going to read to you about ten verses and then I'll break it down for you. And again, today's teaching is about one act of kindness. And verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Pay attention to that. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector. Pay attention to that. And was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, see who Jesus was. But being a short man, oh, I love this guy. He could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see, come on, you know this story. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. See, y'all went to VBS. I like that. That's good. And he wanted to see Jesus, but being a short man, he could not see because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree to see him and Jesus, uh, see him since Jesus was coming that way. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, You come down, for I'm going to your house. Verse 6, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this, began to mutter. He is going to be with the guests of a sinner. Oh my goodness, oh gee, I can't believe that. Verse 8, so, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, exclamation mark, so he's pretty passionate. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody... Out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. Verse 10, and remember this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Father, I pray over the next couple of minutes that you would help me articulate what you want your people to know. Lord, I'm just a mouthpiece. I'm just a puppet. Your hand inside of me moving my jaws. Lord God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that men and women in this room would have open visions. They would have open revelation of what you want for them, Lord, because they don't need a high priest anymore. They have Jesus. And I'm not their priest. I'm just simply a man who brings the word according to you how you want it. So may I articulate it well and may their lives be changed forever in Jesus' name. Amen. So Zacchaeus as the scripture says, is a chief tax collector. A chief tax collector. What that means is, and let me kind of break down this, and some of you already know this, but for others, it'll help you kind of get on the same page. So the Romans had basically conquered most of the known world. They basically conquered everybody, and the Jewish people being one of the many that they had conquered. But what Romans had done, instead of making them all slaves, they allowed them to continue in some of the ways that they did life and culture and so forth. But what they did was they taxed the snot out of them suckers, and they got their money from them, and they didn't care really. In fact, being a Roman meant that, you know what, hey, we, we beat you. And so they walked around with this kind of air about them anyway. And that's why Jesus told them at one point, if a Roman soldier asks you to walk a mile carrying his stuff, we'll do it two miles. And the reason that is is because the arrogance that this conquering group of people had over the people that they had conquered, even though they had empowered them to continue to do business and live as free men, if you will, they taxed them and controlled them through taxation. And so there was this group of people that stood between the Jews 
and the Romans and the hatred that the Jews had that the Romans overtaxed them. And that group of people were called tax collectors. And they were Jewish men and women, men, excuse me, who worked for the Romans. And so because they were in that buffer zone, what they ended up having happen to them culturally was all the Jews hated them because they would tax what the Romans wanted, but then in their own humanity, they would take more than they should. They want their money. They don't care if that person's collector over Jericho. Jesus is going to plan to go through Jericho. As he's going through Jericho, the dude who's over all the IRS monies in Jericho. So Now, Jericho, you've got to understand, is one of the wealthiest cities in Palestine during biblical times. So this would be like the Hamptons. So this dude collects money from all the richest of all people, and he takes more than he should. And then the poor people that live in the area, he's taking more than, they, than they, he should be taking from them. And so there's this huge hatred for this one man named Zacchaeus. As Jesus is entering the city, if you'll go back and look the, ver- the chapter before, he actually heals a man. So he's on the outskirts of the city. He's got his entourage because he's got his 12 disciples and anybody else who's fallen from the last miracle that he just did. And he's kind of camped out, hanging out with them. And as he gets into the city, there's a blind man. Son of, son of God, have mercy on me. Have mercy, I can't see. So he walks over, heals the guy. Now this guy is stoked. Because he hasn't been able to see his whole life. So can you imagine the procession as you come into the city? Not a city like you and I grew up in with concrete buildings, red lights and things like that. But kind of a dirt pavement down through there. And, and some houses and some buildings and different fields and that kind of stuff. So as they come in, the crowd is growing. Why? Because the little dude who just got healed is yelling and jumping and saying, I got healed! I got healed! Look, I can see you! <laughs> and everyone's coming around to hear about it and see it. The reason why is because they didn't have text messaging. They didn't have television and radio in those days. The way you got word out was to tell somebody. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. They didn't have telephone. They had tell a woman. And then that thing would keep going. Hey, I'm so sorry. I repent. I don't know where that came from. Anyway, I repented though. (laughs) It was great being, it was great being the pastor of half our congregation. (laughs) So, so in in that moment, these guys are yelling, and, and so a big crowd is gathering. And as they're gathering, again, Jesus is walking. Now, Jesus had no intentions of staying in Jericho, according to the opening verse 1. says he was going through Jericho to get to where he was going. So as he's going through Jericho, this little guy, this hated individual, this person that no one cares if he lives or dies, this person who people are plotting his demise, this person who, who, who is short in stature. In fact, scholars believe he was under five foot tall. And so he's not just little, he's really little, okay? But, he's, but can you imagine? He's a chief tax collector. That joker, is ba- he is bad to the bone. He is, he is obnoxious. He's probably rude, crude, and obstrued. He's probably very vigilant in his affairs. He's probably very dominating. I fight you, you fight you, you fight He's that guy, you know. He's got Napoleon syndrome because he's short, so he's got to work harder than everybody else to get ahead. Come on now. He's not good looking. He's got all these issues working against him, and most scholars believe that he probably grew up poor because they don't mention his family line, and if you had a good family that you came from, they would usually mention that in Scripture, but since he didn't come from any good family. He probably was a poor dude who fought his way up to this position. Do you got a picture of who this guy is? And in this moment, as Jesus is coming through the city, Zacchaeus wants to see him. Why does he want to see him? Why does he want to see him? Dude, you're wealthy. You're the richest Jewish dude in this city. Why do you care a flying flip? Can I tell you something? Even the most popular, famous 
and wealthy of individuals have something missing inside of them. Something that causes them to want to know, is there really a God? Does he really know I exist? What, what is life really all about? Friend, I don't care what science says in the public school system. I know this. There is a great creator. His name is Father God. And he created all humanity. And we, he lost us to sin, but made a way for us to come back through Jesus Christ, his son. And friend, can I tell you, that burns in the souls and minds of every man and woman that's on the planet today. Why? Because that who created you put a homing device in you so you can reach back out for him to know that something's missing. And that's why it doesn't matter how much money you make, doesn't matter how rich you are, how famous you are. Something is not right on the inside until you find Jesus, until you find the creator of your life and the reason for your existence comes all of a sudden into into, uh, understanding. And in this moment, Zacchaeus, they're not talking about church anymore. They're not talking about giving money to the poor anymore. They're talking about God is walking amongst us. The Messiah has come. And Zacchaeus is saying, look, I've already been cast out by the church. They won't even have me because you've got to understand, because he was a tax collector, the rabbis and all the, all the synagogue guys and all that would not allow him to be in the temple. He could not worship. He could not come and give offerings and things like that. Why? Because they hated him because he basically, if you will, had done the, their people dirty. And if you understand the way culture was in that time, the synagogue was the center of social life. This man's got no friends other than who he hires and makes work for him. He's a lonely individual, but the Messiah has walked into his city, and this man wants to know, if there really is a God, then I want to see him. I want to look into his eyes. I want to know who he is. I want to know if this thing is real. But he can't get to him. He can't get in the crowd, and you can imagine everybody in the crowd, when they see it's him, they're like, Pow! oh, sorry, bro. Oh, I didn't know that was my bad. Uh, sorry about that. So he's getting all beat down. So what does he do? He runs ahead. And he finds a tree, and he climbs up in the tree. Now, how does he know which direction Jesus is going to go? He runs ahead supposing that the crowd may come that way with Jesus in the center of it. And have you ever been um, on the street when a famous person uh, came walking through, a celebrity or something? I- I've been in that environment a couple times, and all of a sudden they get out of the car, and they're going to walk over to a store, and all of a sudden people come running up, cameras, sign this, take a, fo- a selfie with me, this, and all of a sudden this big, and they dominate the direction of where the crowd goes, but there's a lot of hindrance because people are getting in their way. And so I picture that's probably what's transpiring. And as he's trying to go, something happens, and the scripture says this, and let's pick back up where he climbs up into the tree. He says, and and, and he says, uh, excuse me, uh, verse four, I think we are. Uh, He wanted to see Jesus, verse three, but he was short, so he could not because of it. So he ran ahead, climbed up in a sycamore tree since Jesus was coming that way. So he sees him coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, everybody say the spot. So Zacchaeus is hoping to see him. Very important, very wealthy, very experienced man. Climbs a tree. He didn't care. Jesus takes the crowd and moves it towards Zacchaeus. You say, why would he do that? And it says, when he reached the spot, I believe with all of my heart, Jesus saw him up in that tree. And he said, let's go, keep going this way. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, okay, God bless you, yeah. Pray for your son, amen, all right. All right, yeah, yeah, sure, okay, all right, yeah. Here, don't do that anymore, that's wicked, okay, good. All right, let's go. And he gets to the tree. I believe Jesus moved the whole crowd to that tree. He moved them all to the spot. Can I tell you something? Do you know why the world doesn't want to serve God? Because the representation of God on the planet, you and me, never moved to the spot. 
See, we see them in the tree. We know when they want something. We know that they wicked. We know that they're showing us a little bit of attention. And what do we do? We move away from it because we don't want our kids to get stained by them. We don't want them to hurt our little precious clean garments by, by their cursing or their smoking or their perverted talk and things like that. Jesus didn't shy away from it. He went straight to the spot. He went straight to, hey, y'all follow me. I'm going to the spot. Why? Because in that tree is that one who's hated by your entire, our entire society. In that tree is one who's been cast out, can't even go to church because he's too wicked. They won't even let him come in the door. In that tree is a guy that I am going to die for. That is where I'm going, under the spot. And when he gets to the spot, he looks up in the tree. He says, Zacchaeus. How do you know Zacchaeus' name? Never met him. Never interacted with him. Jesus moves in a word of knowledge, a prophetic word. Can you imagine? There's thousands of people. You're up in that tree looking down. King of kings and the Lord of lords. You don't know. Maybe he's just a good prophet. You don't know. You've met so many people in your lifetime. You work with all the dignitaries and you work with all the poor people and all the manipulators and thieves and robbers. And your job all day long is to work in that whole environment of white collar crime that's happening all around you. You're propagating it. You, you're, you're, at, you're at social parties, you, you know, drinking tequila with them and that kind of stuff. And then you're over here with this group knocking down their door and putting them in jail. You got that whole black, uh, blue collar, uh, uh, white collar, you know, whole thing going. And all of a sudden you hear the that this guy is all of a sudden potentially a good prophet or maybe even the Messiah or someone who knows God and something inside of him something inside of him said I got to see him I don't want to just hear about him I got to see him can I explain something to you the wicked of the wicked inside of them is a curiosity is God real you say oh you don't know my uncle he's wicked he hates God he hates preachers he, inside of him it's a curiosity. He wants to know, is it real? He said, how do you know that, Pastor? Because God put it there. God put it there. And instead of running away from the spot, if you and I would run to the spot. And in this moment of running to the spot, Jesus does the greatest act of kindness. What does the man need? Money? He don't need no money. What's he need? A new pair of shoes? He don't need no shoes. What does this man need? Jesus gives him what no one else will give him. Validation that the Father loves you because he knows you by name. Zacchaeus, how do you know my name? Hey, buddy, I don't just know your name. I know the things inside of your heart that keeps you from sleeping at night. I know that you went into, into the business that you went into because you said, doggone it, church ain't even real. All they're doing is fake religious stuff. It's not even any good. And all that whole Judaism thing, they don't even know God. And why not, why not be all about the money? Who cares if they don't want me around them? Because they never showed me love and attention anyway. For, forget it. Up yours. I'm going to go do this thing. And at least I'll be rich in the whole process. You know why he chased after money and wealth and prestige? Because there was nothing else satisfying that he found in his church. But all of a sudden, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords shows up and calls him by name, Zacchaeus, and all that that represents. All that you are on the inside and on the outside. Not only do I see you, not only do I redirect everything that we are doing to come and stand beside you, but buddy, I know you, and not only do I know you, I want to be intimate with you. I want to go to your house. Come down, buddy. Let's go to your house. Here's the beauty of it. He gets down out of the tree. Conversion has started. He's interested. Wow. God knows my name. Years ago, some of you heard the story ten times, but it's mine, so I'll tell it eleven times. 
I was on this airplane, and I sat down next to this guy, and we, we started talking, and, and, uh, and as soon as he started talking to me, uh, he, I, I heard God say, he's a homosexual. So, okay, cool. And, uh, and so I'm looking at him, and, and, uh, and, and, and so he, uh, he says, so what do you do for a living? I said, um, I'm a pastor. He goes, I'm mad at God right now. And as soon as he said it, I then heard God say, he's mad because he's found out that he's HIV positive. In fact, he's going to confront his lover, who lives in another city now, about what's just, what he's just been diagnosed with. And, uh, and then the Lord says, tell him that. What part of no can I say right now? Like, you're telling that. <laughs> how about miss that one? <laughs> I mean, you know, there was no signs. I mean, you don't know how you think homosexual looks or doesn't look. But just a cool dude to me. And I'm just like, man, I am not telling this guy that. What if I miss that one by a mile? Um, and I just kept, man, God kept telling me, tell him, tell him, tell him, tell him. I said, hey, bro, I know why you're mad at God. He goes, why? I said, oh, here he comes. Oh, God. I said, um... God told me to tell you. I mean, maybe not be God. I maybe feel this way. In fact, I'm not even sure if I'm a Christian right now, but I don't know nothing. <laughs> I was just kidding. I said, uh, God told me to tell you um, you're mad at God because you just found out you're HIV positive and you're on your way to confront your homosexual lover. Now, here's the problem with being in an airplane. <laughs> at 30,000 feet. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> If you missed that, right? And so, I'm like, oh, God, why you do this to me, man? And he goes, oh, my God. But he said, he put an expletive in there. How did you know that? Well, brother, let me tell you something. The God I serve. <laughs> no, I'm just not going to do that. I'm being stupid, I didn't do that either. <laughs> I said, man, whoo, I got one right. Whoo. And I said, all right, whoo, batting 10%. That's pretty good. Um, I said, uh, man, I, I just, I, I don't know that. I just, God told me to tell you that. I think it's because he loves you, and he knows you, and he knows your situation. He's not mad at you. He doesn't hate you. He's not trying to destroy you. He's not trying to burn you in hell forever. And, yeah, you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner, but I gave my life to Jesus, and I've changed, and. You can have that same capacity too. It was unbelievable. One prophetic word. That man gave his life to Jesus. Tears coming down his cheeks. He said, what do I do now? I said, you just serve him. You just learn about him. You become best friends with him. It's magical. It's so supernatural. so crazy stupid. I wish I had, I mean, that was a number of years ago. I wish I had more stories to tell like that. I just, I'm just not always so obedient. I'm praying that you and I as a church, that we can become more obedient see more of these supernatural situations. Zacchaeus says, all right, I can't believe this. This is unbelievable. You knew my name. I, can't, I imagine that they're all, he's kind of walking to the house like, y'all, come on. Wow, I can't believe it. They sit down and he has his servants bring meals out. And the crowd doesn't really know where they're going. They had this interaction together. And, and so they stop at Zacchaeus' house and Jesus goes in. And the Bible says they begin to mutter, he's going in to eat with a sinner. I can't believe he's going to eat with a sinner. I can't believe it. Oh my God, he's eating with a sinner. He's eating with a sinner. Can you imagine? Nowhere does it say that Jesus starts preaching, brother, I tell you right now. Tell you right now, you're going to burn. All this you got by, by wickedness, it's going to burn around you, brother. 
I don't see any U-Hauls dragging this to heaven with you. I'll tell you that right now. You know, you, you, it doesn't have any of that. He's just, he's just eating with him. He's eating with a sinner. Not just any sinner. <laughs> the chief of sinners. He's eating with them. And everybody's like, ah, and I, in that moment, Zacchaeus responds. Because he realized the Messiah has been kind to me. See, it's his kindness that led us to repentance. It's his kindness. It says, and be kind to strangers. You don't know what you're doing. You have no idea the ramifications. Jesus is just being kind. He, he's, not, he's, not, he's not trying to create a thesis paper on how to get tax collectors saved. He, he's just being kind. Just being like the father. Zacchaeus stands up. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm going to give half of everything I got to the poor. And whoever I've stolen from, I will repay it four times as much. Jesus responds, today salvation has come to this house. And then he says this last thing. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You have no idea what one act of kindness can do. That person that you think is so wicked and doesn't want to hear a, a, a single thing about Jesus, you have no idea what God's doing in their heart. You don't know how desperately lonely they are because they're away from God. And don't just take your truth and hold it in. Friend, it's time for you and me to look up in the tree and say, let's go that way because there's one right there who's wicked and undone. And it's time that we say, hey, Zacchaeus, hey, Bill, Bill, God knows you, buddy. God loves you. And yes, you have been wicked, but let me tell you something. There's grace and mercy and kindness from the Lord for you. Bill, come Come down. Let's spend some time together. I want to go. I want to bring the Lord into the place where you dwell. God wants to come into your habitation and not just preach at you at the sanctuary, but he wants to come in where you live, in your bedroom, in your living room, in your place of abiding. God wants to come in there. And in that moment, conversion went from conversion to genuine repentance. All of a sudden, that man says, I want to repent to make right what I've done wrong. I'm going to give you four takeaways from this, from this passage here. Write these down real quick and we've got to start closing out. Four takeaways for you. Number one, watch for curiosity and respond with authenticity. This is where the church is missing it. We want to bull our way through people's closed doors. Can I tell you something? If people, if they don't, if they're not even curious about the Lord... Stop bullying your way through. Just pray. Love them. But you'll watch for curiosity. See, God's put that curiosity in their heart, and they'll open their heart. Sometimes it's just for a moment. And when you see that open door of curiosity, that's when you respond with authenticity. Hey, man, I can tell that God's moving on your heart, huh? Can I tell you something? I don't want to give you the 17 steps on how to get a Christian, become a Christian. I want you to know what happened to me. I was undone. I spent two years in prison. And then God, God, God did something in my life. He gave me grace and mercy. I'm back with my family. Got my kids, man. If he'll do it for me, he'll do it for you. Authenticity. Don't, tell, don't, don't just get them to come to the church. Don't try to get them to give the money to the church. Listen, that, that's for us who, who are serving God with all of our heart. But for that man and that tree, he just needs to see authenticity. He just needs to see the realness of God. 
He needs to not join the family of God. He needs to join the kingdom of God. He needs to make God his Savior and his Lord. He needs to come into that place. So look what Luke chapter, excuse me, let's move to the next one. Number two. Number two, kindness to the undeserving is the nucleus for transformation. Let it sink in for a second. Kindness to the undeserving is the nucleus for transformation. He did not deserve kindness. He's not been kind to anyone else. Do you know how many homes he's taken away from poor people? Do you know how many inappropriate situations, business deals he's done that's affected folks who've lost their homes and their children? Do you know how many homeless kids there are because of the decision that this little sucker, this little midget of an idiot up in that tree did? He deserves death! But kindness to the undeserving is where the nucleus for transformation happens. Look what the scriptures say about that. Jesus had some strong words about this. And in light of what happened yesterday, it's crazy that we're at this place in our ministry. Luke chapter 6 and verse 33 through 35. Look what he says. He's almost being, he's almost being spiteful. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then, watch this. Then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Because He, I highlighted it, made it bold. Because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Because God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. We're supposed to be little Jesuses running around, Christians. God is kind to the ungrateful. If you, God, I don't want you in my life. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. See, what's happened in our generation, it's tit for tat. If you do that to me, I'm going to do this to you. Jesus was dealing with that. It was the same thing in his generation. And he said, listen to me, you've got to understand, I am kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. We're talking about acts of kindness will transform lives. Years ago, Pastor John, who's sitting up on the front row, he and I, uh, we were doing some ministry. I think we were in Romania and we had to come through. We had to come back. I think it was a Switzerland or Sweden, one of them, Switzerland. We had to come back through. A layover was there. And so we had a little bit of time before we had to be at the airport. And so they put us in a hotel and then we were driving to the airport and we were on one of these shuttle buses. And the guy driving it was a Swiss guy, and you know, had the blonde hair, blue eyes kind of thing going. And we're, John and I are talking, and, and he, he, all of a sudden he stops, and he opens the door, and we look out the windows, and there's this beautiful little immigrant family. Uh, they, they may have been Romanian. I don't remember what they were, but they were darker skinned. And, and he starts talking to them, and you can tell they're asking for help. You know, they've got their little kid with them. They've got two or three little kids. And, and where do we go, and can we take this bus? And he starts berating them, and he won't let them on the bus. He shuts the door, and he drives off. Now, if, if you know Pastor John, he's a real sweet gentleman. He's a godly man. One of the reasons he's one of my best friends is because he's redhead with muscles. And I'm telling you, a redhead with muscles, make him mad, see what happens. And so John becomes infuriated at this bus driver. And he gives him a piece of Jesus. I mean, he starts going after it. 
And he says, what did you just do? Why did you just disrespect them like that? You need to turn around and put them back on this bus. And this guy, typical European, he starts like, no, I'm not. They keep immigrating to our country, messing up our jobs. You talk about prejudice, friend. And they're back and forth. And Pastor John's putting it on him, putting it on him, putting it on him. And the guy's putting it back, putting it back, putting it back. And, man, we finally get to our destination, and we go to leave. And, and, and John and I look at this guy. And we tip all the people, and we're looking at him, whether or not we should tip him. He's wicked. He deserves to burn in hell forever. And we pull out our money, and we over-tip him. But as we go to hand it to him, we say this. You do not deserve this. You're disrespectful. You're unkind. You're wicked. And one day, if you don't repent, you're going to burn in hell forever. But we want to give you this to show you what God's like. We're going to over-tip you, even though you don't deserve it. Can I tell you something? That man had to lay in bed that night and think about that kindness in the midst of his arrogance and prejudiceness that two Americans showed him. I don't know if we've always done it right, but in that moment we got that one right. Because why? Because Jesus is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Here's point number three. You still with me? Say yes. We got to move fast. Point number three. Real conversion brings real repentance. Real conversion brings real repentance. Okay? Zacchaeus was starting on his conversion process the moment Jesus called out his name. But it can't stop there. He can't just be interested in this thing. This is, see, what we do is we bring people to church because we tell them, if you come, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. Friend, what happens when they're not blessed? Why? Because they still love their sin. What happens is Zacchaeus is enamored. He's starting that conversion process. Yes, I want this Jesus. Yes, he knows my name. Yes, I want to change. I, I, I don't know if I want to change. He gets home and he's sitting there and he sees all the murmuring and the act of kindness that the Messiah would sit at his kitchen table, at his dining room table, excuse me, and have fellowship with him, that he would love him that much to, to push back all the stereotypes and all the insecurities and all the junk of the society and say, I will love you. I will come up in your house, friend, and I will love on you and show you kindness. In this moment... His conversion piece goes to repentance and he stands up and says, you know what? I take responsibility for my sin. See, real repentance is to take responsibility for your sin. I see too many people coming to church hoping that they don't have to pay the damages for the sin that they've committed. And that's not repentance. Repentance is I did it. I did it. I molested that kid and I want to repent and I don't care if I have to go to jail for it. I don't want that on my conscience. I want to be right with God. I will, I, whatever I've taken... I will repay. Whatever I've stolen, I'll give back four times as much, he says. See, this is repentance. To make right what I've done wrong. To have the attitude of that. And I've seen God do miracles. And I've seen God do miracles where people were graced from having to pay those penalties. But friend, can I tell you something? The heart of true repentance is I'll make it right. I take responsibility for what I've done. And we've got an entire generation that refuses to take responsibility for their actions. And as a result, we don't have true repentance. And as a result, we have people that simply are going to church for what they can get from it. And when they don't get nothing from it, they stop going because they've never truly repented. So they've never really been completely converted. They started the process, but never truly given themselves completely to the Lord. I tell you that's something. Sorry to hit you with that. Number four. Number four. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to build temples. He didn't come to make Christians feel good. Oh, hallelujah, feel good, feel good, feel good. Feel good. Hmm, do you feel good? Hope you feel good. Church, you should feel good. That's not what he came. He said, the Son of Man came. That's why he came. To seek 
and to say that which is lawful. We get the benefit of feeling good through the process. Wonderful. So, so happy to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have peace and joy in my life. It's what it feels so good. To have a clear conscience, so good, so good. But that's not why he came. He came to seek Adam McCain because I was wicked and I was lost. And he brought me to the Father, knew my name, made a difference in my life. Friend, if Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, you and I should be seeking and saving that which is lost. Stop walking past the tree. Stop going around the tree. Stop avoiding the tree and the wicked man in the tree. And instead, let us go to the spot and call them by name and tell them what the Father desires to do in their life and see them come to genuine conversion. You say, well, this has been really good. <laughs> what acts of kindness do you suggest I do? When you go to leave today, we've got some little cards that we want each of you to take. And on those cards, it says something like this. This act of kindness was because Jesus loves you. And on the back of it, it has Church on the Hill's name, just so if they have a moment and they want to respond to a church, they will have our name. But what I'm hoping you'll do this week is find moments where you can bless people. Maybe over tip today while you're eating lunch and put that card next to it. I wanted to bless you because Jesus loves you. Or maybe help a coworker. But I know some of you aren't really good at ideas on acts of kindness. So I wrote a little something for you <laughs> to give you a few thoughts. It was late night, so just bear with me. You could buy someone's meal or simply share a good deal. You could cover the tip or you could help wax their lip. Maybe <laughs> cut the neighbor's grass or take them fishing where they can catch a giant bass. You could fix them green eggs and ham, but the green eggs will make them sick, and so you have to pray to the great I am. You could give a gift to someone who's kind of sad, or go extreme and love someone who's been really, really bad. You could give a ride to someone without a car, and that may keep them from going to a bar. That may cause them to think that you're a star, but then you and I know how far from heaven you really are. <laughs> you could validate a coworker's idea in a staff meeting, or make the teacher's life a little easier. By stopping all your cheating. You could send an encouraging prayer through email. Or maybe a paper card through mail snail. Or who knows. That may keep them actually out of Hades. You could hold the door at the store. You could pick up that rotten apple core. You could help a friend with a daily chore. You could refuse to complain while they sit there and snore. You could pick up the trash off the floor. You could give some stuff away that may could help the poor. You could show your gratitude by saying, gracias, senor. You could fix that broken desk drawer. You could buy lunch for someone you have never seen before. You could massage someone who is so sore. You could pay for a friend to see the movie Thor. Or you could really just do acts of kindness and introduce people to Jesus so that they'll Always be with him forevermore. <laughs> Come on, stand with me. Oh, brother. <laughs> well, it was late, okay? <laughs> All right, would you just join hands that person next to you for just a moment? I'm going to close out today. Would you pray this prayer with me as we close out, just in the way that you'd like to pray it under your breath? Could you pray something along the lines of, God, help me to be kind. Because see, if your heart becomes kind, your actions will become kind. Father, I pray right now that we as a church would be kind. That we would be gracious. For you are kind, Jesus, to the wicked. You actually are kind to those who do not deserve it. 
How do we become like you, Lord? That's not our nature. We're still needing to grow in that. Lord, this week is... Your people go out and they just do life. They're standing in lines at Walmart. They're, they're doing PTA meetings that are about to start. Or they're going and meeting teachers. Lord, I pray that that little card would kind of stir them to show an act of kindness. Lord, it may be a prophetic word that they give to someone. It may be cut the neighbor's grass. It may be pay for those spiral notebooks. Lord, I don't know what it's going to be. But I do ask that you would help us be kind. That our hearts would be kind. Lord, the Zacchaeuses of the world, they're waiting on us. They want to see, is it real or is it just religion? Do they go to church, but they don't really know God? Is there a God who created us? Does he know my name? Does he care that I exist? Does he care that everyone in this society hates me because of the job profession that I chose? But I chose this job profession because it makes me rich. And surely if I'm rich, that makes life all worth living. But why am I empty on the inside? God, there's so many praying that prayer. There's so many asking the question, is he real? Is there a real God there? And these, your children, us, your sons and daughters, we are your representation. Give us words of knowledge for people. Lord God, acts of kindness that cause people to know who you are. For you are kind to the unmerciful. You are kind to the wicked because you are a good God. Lord, we thank you for your kindness. Pray that you would help us to be kind. Now, right where you stand, you're holding hands with that other person. Would you just let God speak to your heart? He wants to show you a scenario. For some of you, you need a little bit more prepping. Like you're not real good spontaneous. Like me, sometimes I walk away and went, oh man, that was God trying to get me to tell that person that. Pay for that. I missed it. Would you ask the Lord to kind of give you a heads up on the scenario of kindness? Would you just ask him? This week, I'm hoping that as you move in acts of kindness, that you'll then go and post about it. That then will create others to say, wait a minute, that's pretty cool. I need to be like Jesus in that too. Father, I just thank you right now that while I was a sinner, you were kind to me. Lord, I thank you that we all deserve death. and We all deserve destruction. But you were kind to us. For it was your kindness that led me to repentance. Lord, I remember being Zacchaeus. May we never forget. And may we show the same kindness that you showed to us. Lord, we ask you that in this holy moment, that our church would be a church that bonds over the truth of who God is. And that we would represent you to the hurting of this world. We love you, Jesus. We ask you now for your grace. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.